The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 152 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is autism, police, and emergency services. Just a word about autism. It's a health condition caused by disorders in brain development. Its effects start to appear in children at age two to three years. For some children, the effects can be strengths, such as exceptional memory, music skills, computer skills, and physical skills. But for some children, the effects can be particular difficulties with social interaction, difficulties with communication, and difficulties with behaviors. Um, That um, leads to sometimes, or the difficulties lead sometimes, to what are called high-risk behaviors. And kind of example might be where a child is unable to protect himself or herself against physical or mental abuse. And high-risk behaviors may involve the police because of emergencies in which a child or a young adult may need police protection or emergencies in which others may seem to be in need of police protection from a young adult's behavior. Now, firstly, just a word of thanks to Jody Brenton, Program Manager for Autism Ontario, Ottawa, for introducing me to our guest for today, Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. Now, may be joined by um, another guest, and if so, I'll introduce him um, if, if he does manage to join us. So, first of all, uh, let me introduce Jamie. Jamie is with the Ottawa Police Service in charge of a platoon of emergency response officers in Ottawa's West District. He got involved in creating the Ottawa Police Service Autism Registry because of the local autism community's concerns about tragedies that may have been avoided if such a, an instrument, such a tool, existed. Um, he and his wife have three children, Hunter, Shay, and Vina. Hunter was diagnosed with autism at the age of three and a half with a discouraging prognosis. Now 16, Hunter is proof that dedicated care and support for children with autism can bring success. Hunter's now a competitive swimmer, a straight-A student, and he's also the family's resident computer expert. So, welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you very much, Doctor. Now, what I'd like to start out 
please with is a question about you, your personal background and your professional career and also your family experience. Jamie, please tell us more about that. Yeah, um, uh, thank you very much for, for having this topic. I think it's very important. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, prior to becoming a police officer, I was uh, a youth counselor, actually, uh, a crisis counselor for a number of years. And, uh, and, it was, and that's kind of how I got I getting started in this profession that I'm in now as well, because like, over time in helping these young people, these, you realize their tragic beginnings they may have come from, and, and it had, had a lot of explanations to their behaviors. And I began to wonder, like, what if, like, what if, I had that uh, that same background. I didn't have the support that I had. Would I be facing the same challenges that they are? Um, I then since became a police officer in 1996, and uh, and I think what people uh, don't realize about policing that, unlike TV, the pro- the profession is not just about uh, about solving crimes or or, or uh, working in that area. It's increasingly becoming more tied up with societal issues, uh, specifically around mental health and often homelessness and things of this nature. So we're called upon to do very different things and. And when you, uh, I think when you begin to deal with these same people over and over again, you learn more and more about their stories and about their histories and where they came from. And again, I found myself wondering, you know, if, you know, they started from the same background as I had. Had I ran into these same roadblocks they did along the way, you know, where would I be today? And I think it first hit us, I think that what if part is, is with our son Hunter, as you mentioned, was diagnosed. And my, uh, when he was first diagnosed, my wife Cammie and I found ourselves, you know, really quite alone. Uh, I think uh, in trying to deal with this, and we went looking, and there was there was no beacon out there saying that hey, come over here, we got the answers, we 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 know what you need, we we know the resources, we have the help. So we uh, began to try to train ourselves really, and and how to how to help our son meet his all his potential that he, whatever that was going to be, we didn't know certainly. And uh, one of the things we found helpful was online support groups, you know, chat groups uh, with other families and caregivers with people with autism, because you can learn so much information about what's out there and. And uh, there's, uh, you alluded to it, there was a few tragic incidences of, uh, of young people with autism, a uh, young child with autism, you know, gone missing um, with tragic results. And, and the community was really talking about what if, what if my child gone missing um, and he's unable to communicate, uh, you know, what about their behaviors? Are they going to be misunderstood? Are we as parents going to be judged by, you know, emergency personnel or whoever about, you know, you're not doing a good job as a parent was another big thing. And, and uh, that is how I kind of came around to work with others in, in training police officers and, and developing the autism registry and, and going online and finding other support. So that's kind of what brought me here today. Just a, an amplification of that, uh, Jamie. Were you a police officer when Hunter was born? I actually was not. I was still a youth counselor. I became a police officer uh, about three months. He was about three months old. So not shortly after he was born, I, I got on with the Ottawa police. Right. So in other words, you've grown up both with the police and with Hunter, and therefore your experience with autism has really paralleled your your experience in the police, hasn't it? It's a very good point. I never even thought of that. But yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, by three and a half, uh, we got the diagnosis, and uh, it really changed my perception of a lot of things, and not only doing my job, but uh, because of dealing with any child with special needs has its own um, challenges above and beyond, I think, the norm that uh, it really has kind of geared everything I've done in my career as well. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you again about your own experience um, your family experience. Mm-hmm. Um, your your hunter, your hunter, has ex- exceptional abilities, um, physical um, and mental. 
Um, please tell us a little bit more about the challenges that he has as a result of autism. Well, with Hunter, when he was first diagnosed, he, he certainly had all the classic signs of autism. Uh, it, was, it wasn't really a surprise to us. We, we did some research prior to getting, uh, finally getting in to have an assessment done. So, you know, he, he did the hand flapping, uh, rolling his eyes, the, a lot of rocking. Um, he could communicate. He could verbalize, uh, but he couldn't, I shouldn't say he couldn't communicate. He could verbally speak, but he would just recite Winnie the Pooh uh, videos, things of that nature, but when turned to me and couldn't ask for a simple juice, he was stuck. Um, and so he had all the classic signs, and the prognosis for him uh, initially was uh, that he, his uh, development would not go too much you know, past the adolescent stage and that he would likely require care his entire life. But we hadn't started doing anything with him yet, right? So we quickly got into as, as best we can learning about autism, and uh, we hired some wonderful uh, uh, workers to come into our house and work with us and, and, and team up and, and worked really hard. And for Hunter, and I wish I could bottle up the reasons why he became the success he had, I'd give it away, but he, over time, it took years, but he began to see... Um, uh, you know, things started to fall into place for him. He began uh, to communicate with us. He, um, you know, in terms of not by communicating, I mean like he was able to ask for himself, advocate for himself. He quickly uh, or slowly, but things started to fall into line for him, to whereby he went from being in the first percentile in many cases uh, in terms of uh, schooling when he was assessed, and he's now being assessed in the 98th percentile in some of these areas. Um, and uh, so he, he, it's, a, it's a remarkable success story, I think, and, and a bit of an enigma, but uh, he's a remarkable young man in that perspective. So he's a straight-A student now in school, uh, although he does have a, uh, an individualized education plan, it's called. He's not really utilizing it anymore. He, the normal curriculum very strong in math and science, not so much in the uh, the social arts. Uh, athletically, he's found swimming, uh, which was a terrific sport for him because it allowed him to be that individual. It's an individualized sport, and yet he's exposed to a greater team um, that he's on, and he's excelled at it. And he's just uh, you know he's dedicated to it. So it's uh, it's we've gone from worrying about how am I going to care for my son in the future, and particularly when I'm gone. Uh, that was my early. Uh, I was just obsessed with that initially early on with the diagnosis. How am I going to make sure he's cared for? To now um, knowing that he can be whatever he wants to be in life. He'll always have challenges. He's still autistic. And right now it manifests itself in, in how he socially engages with people. Um, when he does choose a school or a career, uh, he's now very aware of his autism. He's actually been an advocate himself. He spoke at a few fundraisers and stuff that I'm involved in here. And uh, so he's aware of it, and he now works to correct wherever those society misconceptions of, of him, because really it is who he is. He's an individual, and he's, he's very good at accepting that. So he's really quite a remarkable young man. Jamie, please tell us a bit more of why you started in Ottawa this um, tool, as you call it, for preventing harm to children whose high-risk behaviours might get them into. Now, this is a two-part question, so I just want a, a quick summary from you now, and then after the break, we'll go into a bit more. Okay, detail. sure. 
Yeah, no, we, we, the autism registry, it's an interactive immediate tool that uh, essentially puts um, information about uh, a registered uh person with autism directly in the hands of an emergency personnel. So if we're responding to uh, whether a, a missing person or an incident involving a person with autism and we, and we know that we have the person's name, simply running the person's names will bring up that information about them and police then will know going in. Uh, here's are some calming techniques you can use. Here's our triggers. Don't stay away from these because it might uh, increase the, the stress in that person. Um, and there's numerous examples here with uh, the Ottawa Police so far in the, in the short time we started the registry where um, it has been a great assistance to officers in diffusing situations. Let me just ask you very quickly the number of users there are, if that's the right term, of the registry. How many? Oh, how many? Well, we're up over, I have, uh, last time I looked was uh, about a month ago, we were over 400 registrants thus far. And uh, we continue We continue to grow as the message gets out. And, and most importantly, actually, in the survey we did after our pilot project, is 100% of the people who were on it uh, said they were going to continue to renew it and that they found, the, they found just the idea of the registry very comforting. It's wonderful. Um, this is a message of hope. We're going to uh, take our break now, which is where we have to pay our rent. And um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is uh, Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Ever wondered what private investigators really do and how they go about solving cases? Each week, P.I.'s Declassified gives a glimpse into this little-known world. Join your host, Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator, in conversations with detectives and experts in the field. False confessions, forensic evidence, finding missing persons, exposing fraud, exonerating the innocent. All areas that Francie and her guests will cover, and have they got stories to tell. Tune in and call in to the live show Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host, Jordan Kimmel, is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. Our topic is autism, police, and emergency services. Jamie, let's now talk about the risks created for individuals with autism 
And yeah. the challenges that are created for the family caregivers. So my first question to you then is, what are autism's risks and dangers that are most likely to come to the attention of law enforcement? Well, I think, it, I think it's uh, kind of, I like to divide that up into two ways, and especially amongst the younger population, the most frightening risks, I think, um, that certainly uh, are raised is, is the, the wandering aspect of, uh, of it, where I don't like to call them runners or runaways, because that's, it, it misunderstands what they're doing. They, but a young person with autism does have a characteristic of wandering away, so if they're able to get away from their family in a, in a in particular way and wander, they'll do that. And, uh, and also the other aspect to that, then, is the, un, the, uh, the inability or uh, to assess dangerous situations appropriately, whether it be uh, being approached by strangers, uh, vehicle traffic, uh, water is a big concern. Uh, drowning is actually a, a number, one of the number one um, causes of death of a young person with autism um, in, in North America. So it's very, a very big concern when this happens. And this is what particularly drew me to get uh, greater involved uh, was the, the fears I've heard of parents online about just this. And, uh, and I remember even presenting this to a parent group and one mother came up to me, uh, afterwards and, and almost gave me a big hug because it was like, this is my biggest fear and you've created something that, um, at least I know addresses it and helps. So, um, that is, uh, that is certainly one characteristic that I'm very, very concerned about. And, uh, one of the main reasons why we created this, uh, the registry at the beginning. Um, but another characteristic that is in our in our community and and one that was um, I think kind of a, a, uh, the the registry answers uh, wasn't intended to answer but it has helped officers greatly is uh, when a young person is in the community and they're you know they're high functioning they're able to be out on their own but they still have these characteristics such as um, you know and they're misunderstood and those characteristics such as a lack of verbal communication an inability to hold eye contact which you know I like to say you know police officers are, when are interviewing someone or speaking to someone the street that lack of eye contact means many different things to us. So we need to train our officers to understand there might be another reason for that. And also there's the bluntness of how this person might speak um, uh, to individuals in the community. And so we get calls as police department. We get calls from, from people worried about this individual. It might be in a mall or in a store. And as police officers, we have to be in tune to that because we're getting that person's perception of what the condition, what this person is, and often we, and often what it turns out to be is that I think we have a person on drugs. You know, they're on drugs, they're in the mall, or this person is a risk to other people or a risk to others in some way. And it's so important then that police officers are aware of autism and the different conditions because when they arrive, they only got one side of that story at first, right? They only have the perception of the caller, and they need to be in tune to, hey, this, the reasons why this person's behaving a certain way. There might be other reasons other than the fact that they're on drugs or uh, there's something else going on. So those are the risks, I think, that, that of, of the condition of autism that police officers and law enforcement would tend to get mostly involved in, the wandering, the uh, inability to access danger, and, of course, just simply being misunderstood. Right. <clears throat> Let me just ask you about the information in the registry. Um, what exactly is that information? Yeah, and obviously a police officer out there on the street, so to speak, will see all of that. And I've read, and correct me if I'm not right on this one, but I think I am, that the family um, voluntarily submit this information to the police. So therefore you don't have any confidentiality or privacy issues. But well, just give us a clue about the kind of level of information that you have. 
Yeah, no, it is absolutely 100% voluntary. Um, the, the parent uh, um, or caregiver can register online, actually. And the information, we don't ask for it to be, we don't want it to be too much because it's meant to give uh, a responding police officer the immediate information they may need, whether they're going to look for that missing child or, or deal with somebody. So we just want the, the quick hit, so to speak. So it's simply... Uh, um, you know, maybe some emergency contact information. Uh, we're looking for uh, med- other medical conditions. But more importantly, we're also looking for, okay, what are the calming techniques? What, what do we need to know about your child? What do we need not to do? Like, for example, a lot of people with autism, are, it's a sensory uh, disorder as well, right? So then we can be very sensitive to noise. And as police responding to emergencies, what do we do? We show up with lights and sirens. So we need to be aware of those type of things. And uh, But I should say, you're right, we don't really have, because it's voluntary. We don't have that uh, issue with personal information, but I would like to highlight it. It's, it's secure. That information is actually downloaded into our, 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 our uh, report management system where we hold all our other information, and it's, it's secure in that, and no one else has access to it. Uh, we don't certainly ask for any medical information beyond what you want to provide, but at the same time, it's, it's a very secure location, and, and the police officers access it the same way they access everything else, so that was very important to us as well when we developed this because a police officer may get the training on how to access the registry, but if it's not something they utilize right away or, or shortly after that training, they may forget. So it was important for us that it was part of what we do every day. So simply having a person's name and running the name, or it could be an address of the house, things of that nature, immediately pulls up that information. And another thing we provided through Autism Ontario, which is our partners, Bringing in that partnership was huge. Uh, you know, it's a, a community engagement. Is the uh, we have stickers for cars, for example. So if the cars in a, in a so the vehicles in a traffic accident, the parents may be uh, incapacitated at the moment when police arrive. There's that sticker on the back that has a number. It's an individualized flag number, and the officer can simply run that number and, and learn about that child that might be in the back seat and know the grandparents' name or the medical name or some you know someone other somebody else's contact that we can contact to get some assistance. So. Um, it's a great tool, easy to use, quick information, and um, and it's it is it is although it's is voluntary, the information is held very very private and very secure. You in Ottawa have pioneered this um, this tool, this instrument, the registry. Um, where else is it being used? Well, I'm so happy and so proud um, of this and, and all the people that I work with on this registry. We have a team of volunteers that have devoted their time to this. So, um, But I know just Ontario alone, where you're looking at North Bay Police has put the same process in place. I know all through uh, Windsor, uh, down in the Golden Horseshoe area around Toronto, a number of the police services there have or are in the process of doing so. Uh, they've contacted us and uh, have uh, talked to our IT experts and how to put it into their system. Thankfully, in Ontario, certainly, where many of the police services are on the exact same record management system as we are, so it was easy to transfer that over. Um, but we have also been uh, in work with the RCMP and, and looking to find a way of making this more of a national registry through the, uh, the, the Canadian Police Information uh, conduit uh, that all police services have access to. So we are looking for ways to improve it and to expand on it. And uh, here in Ottawa, I know we are um, very eager to also see what other disabilities we can um, include that will that are needed so that, that it would assist emergency personnel if they're responding to have some prior knowledge. So we're very happy to see how many police services are, are getting on board of this. Jamie, the, according to the experts in this 
broad field of high-risk behaviours, there are something like 11 mental health conditions um, that produce high-risk behaviours of one form or another. And probably the one that's most known about and most feared is schizophrenia, although the vast majority of people with schizophrenia don't indulge in the severe high-risk behaviours, but a small percentage do. Now, so you've really already answered this question, but it's right then to say, is it, that your plans are, your hopes are, that all of the conditions um, that result in high-risk behaviours will ultimately become part of the registry in an appropriate way. Is that right? Yeah, that is absolutely right. I think we have to look at each one individually as they come in. It's important for us, like what our, our, our partnership with Autism Ontario Ottawa has proven that that they are advocates for the autism community. And I think wherever we move to next, we have to ensure that that population as well has an advocate that's joining us because it, promoting it and making sure we're doing it right is very important. Um, so uh, whether schizophrenia uh, is something that we can include, it'll see in the future, but we're most certainly looking to look at it, all those conditions that, that produce high-risk behavior and, and, uh, and, and then partner up with a community advocate out there as well so that we are doing it right. Right. Now, let's change the subject slightly, and I want to ask you what the most difficult challenges are that families and family caregivers encounter when a family member who's living with autism has come to the attention of law enforcement. Jamie? Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that we found, myself and my wife found too, especially early on, and it's the uh, explaining, um, the need to have to explain the behavior and hoping that the person understands what you're going through and what you're trying to say to them. And there's a, there's a saying of people in the autism community is that if you met one person with autism, you met one person with autism. Uh, they're not all the same. They are individuals, and although they have common characteristics, um, the truth is, uh, you know, these are individuals, so these characteristics can manifest itself in very unique ways and that families are very stressed about the idea of having to explain their child's behavior in a way that law enforcement officer who might be standing there with them trying to deal with the situation will understand and take into account um, they're also stressed of being labeled as bad parents uh, this is something um, that we've heard over and over again that the behavior of their child is somehow due to a flaw in their in their uh, parenting uh, and then anybody outside their immediate circle of their, uh, you know, their, their friends or their family are, is going to understand that. And I actually remember once, uh, now that I was just talking about that, when Hunter was just first diagnosed, so he was only about, you know, four or five years old, and we used to always bring him to the park so he has an opportunity to socialize with other kids, right? So that's certainly what you want. And uh, But he would be obsessed with his trucks that he would bring with him, and any time a kid would come over to play, he would, you know, turn his back on them and turn his back on them and kind of exclude them and just, you know, just isolated in what he's doing on himself. So another their mother, I remember this, would would uh, wanted to come over and kind of engage him and her son and, and try to get them to play. She was well-intentioned, and, and she wasn't having any luck. Hunter would have none of it. And, and I went over, and I introduced myself, and I was going to try some of the techniques with Hunter to, to get him to socialize with this young boy. But after introducing myself, I explained to her, well, Hunter is autistic. And no sooner that came out of my mouth that she picked up her son and, and left the park, um, you know, I guess uh, thinking that maybe somehow it's contagious. But that just shows back then, that was about, you know, that's, uh, you know, 10, 11 years ago. And I think since that time, the, the information out there about autism has grown. So I hope that, you know, more and more people understand that. But I think that that is the biggest, uh, 
biggest difficulty and challenge that families have when they when when they have the trying to explain themselves or explain the behavior and the understanding, and they worry that. If a police officer has to interact with their child, are they going to understand that behavior? Are they at very least going to consider it? And do they understand that if they put their hands on the child for the person, for example, or, or they stand too close, or they, they raise their voice or talk too fast, that that could be a trigger that uh, sets that person off in crisis. And it's a very, uh, it's a, it's for family and caregivers, it's something that I think they, they worry about all the time, and, and it's one of the biggest challenges for them. Right. Now, it is that time again when we have to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guest is Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. On the weekends, you like to relax with your girlfriends, a cup of tea, your favorite magazine, and some stories and fun. So why not check out Sisters Seriously? It's all that and a whole lot more. Host Kelly Chevalier and her guests will bring you stories and tips designed to encourage women everywhere. Find out more about fashion, interior design, beauty, and entertaining. Sure, we make mistakes like everyone else, but the goal is to find out how to overcome and live the fabulous life for free. Sisters Seriously is live every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and, and Dennis DeBoat and Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. Our topic is autism, police, and emergency services. Uh, now, Dennis is an in, a professional investigator and journalist, but he turned his investigations to autism after his son Brad, now a young man, was diagnosed with autism. Um, his first report, Avoiding Unfortunate Situations, was published in 1994. And since then, he's authored a co-authored over 30 articles. And over the past 17 years, he's trained and developed training materials for law enforcement, first response, and criminal justice professionals throughout the United States, Canada, Iceland, New Zealand, and the UK. So, now, welcome to the show, um, 
first of all, um, uh, Dennis, good to, good to see you. Happy now, to be here, Dr. Atherley. <laughs> great. Now, what I want to, to do now is to talk with you both about preventing or minimizing risks that autism creates for individuals and ways of helping family caregivers manage the challenges that these risks create. Start with Jamie first. Please, Jamie, tell us about the prevention methods developed by the Ottawa Police. Well, as uh, you know, we spoke about earlier, the uh, using the, the autism registry has, has helped us greatly once a person is registered. It, uh, it is something that allows us to have that information in advance. It allows uh, um, families to register their child. And it, when the police have responded to uh, several uh, incidences so far since the registry has been in effect, it has allowed us to minimize the effects of that behavior that might be coming out. Um, one good example it's, it's sometimes the best thing is not to not to interact, right? And, and I had a school resource officer that we had that uh, that called me after he had a call, and uh, on his response to his school because a young man was destroying the classroom, he was very upset. Um, and on his on the way there, he realized that the individual was on our registry and was able to get the information. And one thing he heard was well, he doesn't like police very much. He doesn't like uh, people in uniform. And uh, so on his response, he decided to stop at the classroom door because he can hear inside that the work were speaking with this young man and, and beginning to calm him down, and he just stood by and waited, um, you know, potentially if he needs to, uh, to, inter- to intervene, and so be it. But knowing that information in advance is, and it was very contrary to what we as police officers do, is to stop at that door and not go through it. But he stopped, and he waited, and he waited, and he listened, and, and the individuals calmed down, and the workers were working with him again, and the officers simply just walked away. Um, he walked away and, uh, you know, never had to, never had to intervene and he was concerned that he'd make things worse actually. So, um, the, uh, the registry itself, I think is our number one, um, instrument in, in dealing with these effects. But the other part is the second part is obviously you have to train officers, right? They have to be knowledgeable about this condition and, and, and about other conditions, but they need to understand that there are other reasons for certain types of behaviors and allowing them to have that tool um, and, and revisit it. We retrain every year and we visit people regularly and talk about it. It brings it, it keeps it clear in the officer's mind so that um, when if they are facing this type of situation, they have those tools and they have those understanding of the audience. They're not experts, but they're, they have those other tools to at least take a second and, and think there's something else I can do here. Right. Dennis, please tell us about the prevention methods that you advocate in the course of your work. Well, clearly uh, what Jamie and uh, Ottawa Police Service have created here is uh, 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 essential. The ability for families to disclose before the contact with uh, whatever detail they they choose to, and, and of course voluntarily, would give the police or other first responders an opportunity to get to know what this person might uh, be all about, an an owner's manual, if you will, what they like, what they dislike. As Jamie just said, they don't like the police, but what do they like? Uh, Do they like the uh, Ottawa Senators or... Yeah. You know, the, uh, yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, who are, uh, what is their favorite um, uh, music? The things that can calm and befriend people would be essential. Right. Now, back to Jamie. Please give us a picture 
of the ways in which the Ottawa police work with families and family caregivers when the behaviours, the high-risk behaviours of a family member with autism have come to the attention of law enforcement. Jamie? Yeah. Um, well, in the end, it's, it's, uh, I think Dennis can test you. Once a cop, I think you're always a cop. So uh, that's, a, that's a part of me that I, don't, I can't get rid of. And, and for me, it's all about information. Um, and that information, importantly, has to be quality information and it has to be reliable information. And I know when my family was uh, thrust into this world um, of autism, uh, you know, we went looking for that information and we found very little. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite proud about my Ottawa Police Service on this particular uh, uh Piece because they are fairly progressive, and I think uh, in policing we realize we have a role to play in, in our community beyond just fighting crime. And and uh, so what we've done is partner with Autism Ontario, as I mentioned, and bring community awareness to the forefront, including internal and external promotion, uh, particularly during, for example, Autism Awareness Month. Right. Um, but through our med- registry, we monitor reports, and we're able to follow up with families afterwards. It's not just that initial police uh, interaction. We have people such as myself uh, when I'm doing my job. We have, uh, you know, a wonderful person, Kate Bretton Pepin, in our comm center, who's constantly tracking any of these type of calls, and she makes us aware. And I read them, and I'll, and I'll follow it up with a phone call to the family, right? And I'll say, you know, and I do it from a supportive perspective. It's just, uh, how are things going? Um, are you aware of our registry if the child's not on the registry? Is there uh, anything else we can do for you? Are you aware of Autism Ontario, particularly if it's a new family just facing this, this you know, new diagnosis? Are you aware of what's in town here beyond the Ottawa Police? The Ottawa Please act as the conduit, I think. We're a big name in Ottawa, and that allows us then to use our resources to help and direct people to other resources out there. And the other thing we do is we have a chronic problem with someone, like the, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, or I don't think I got that example, actually. He, uh, this young man, he was uh, always coming into our police station yelling and screaming in the lobby, and the main reason was he, he actually was attracted to police shows, and he wanted to be chased all the time, which is a very dangerous thing to get into. And uh, he did this chronically, so we met with him, and we met with his family, and we met with his caregivers, and we came up with a solution uh, to how to, to change these things. And the reality is he just wanted to talk to a police officer. So he now has my business card that he calls every once in a while, and we talk, and that has reduced that. So it's about being engaged, I think, in the community is the number one, the number one thing you have to do. Right. Dennis, what's the advice you give to families and family caregivers when the behaviours of a family member with autism has come or have come to the attention of law enforcement? Well, again, not to point to the uh, OPS terrific program, which which I tell uh, law enforcement audience uh, about, you know, from New Zealand to Canada or anywhere, it's you can't expect police, fire rescue, emergency medical services, or anyone else to be able to field diagnose someone with autism, whether they're a child or, or not. Yes, we, in the training room, we can uh, be, you know, make people become more familiar with the sights and sounds associated with people that have this condition. But uh, if you want a better response, you have to you know, uh, think about disclosure, and, and that really is the key. It really is the key to the uh, uh, the autism registry. Uh, if you disclose and, and that decal on vehicles, uh, I got to tell you, Jamie, that you know that's an upgrade. It's 2012. Uh, 
law enforcement in North America and around the world are increasingly uh, uh, able to access uh, information from their onboard or in-vehicle computer systems, that that decal is just such an upgrade. But for, for families, folks, you, you have to understand that uh, to get an accommodation, people need to know that they give it to you. And, and the decals, the registry, uh, give uh, families the opportunity to make that happen. What's the sort of response that families first make or give you when you're saying, talk to the police, tell them about what the, tro- the problem may be with your child? I'm asking Dennis that question, yeah. first of all. What, what, what do family care, families, family caregivers say? Well, I think the, 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 the biggest issue is aggressive behavior. Uh, our families, and I've interviewed and lived you know, with this for 25 years, our families sometimes do not want to seek help because they feel that no one could understand their beautiful son, no one or daughter, or no one could ever love them or be able to work with them uh, other than themselves. And, and for some of our families, they will take uh, aggression. You know, mom will get hit, dad will get hit. You know, there are things going on in the home, and they do not want to seek help because they feel that no one else will understand uh, that they'll be looked at as neglectful or, uh, you know, incompetent. And so they live with these situations. Uh, we had a, uh, a college professor here in the States just a, a few years ago who lived with that, did not seek help, did not want to think about the possibility that her beautiful son might have to live elsewhere because of safety and risk issues, and she paid for that decision with her life. So uh, I think, you know, just to point to the, you know, the boiling issue here, it is is aggression. It's not so much my child might wander off into danger. I I think the... the, uh, the autism registry uh, OPS, you know, ad- addresses that well. But for families living with this, we become isolated with uh, fear and anxiety about whether or not other professionals will understand what we're going through. The- Dennis, we'll come back to that. That's a profoundly important point. Again, it's a short break time, so let's take it now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Dennis DeBolt and Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. We are in the midst of a global sovereign debt crisis that could lead to the ultimate risk for the world economy, the removal of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. What will this event really mean to the markets? And more importantly, what does it mean for you and your family? Listen to Global Currency Watch with your host, Stephen Ayer, to get a full and objective look at the world's sovereign debt crisis and help you prepare for when the crisis envelops the United States. Global Currency Watch airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. 
what would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dennis DeBoot and Staff Sergeant Jamie Dunlop. Our topic is autism, police and emergency services. Now, let's talk about ways to increase support for families, family caregivers and family members living with autism. Jamie, you first. What more do you want to see done to provide that support uh, in the way perhaps building on the things you've already achieved? Jamie? Yeah, you know, I just want to, uh, to echo what De- Dennis has said the last segment, and he's 100% right. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's still a part, although there's a lot more awareness, far more now than there was, say, 10 years ago. Um, there's still a lot of families out there that, uh, you know, are, are stressed to the limit because of, of living with this condition, and especially as their, their child ages and they're doing everything that they can. Um, and that's where I think where we have to talk about the support. One is we have to understand what they're going through, and it's not just what they're going through in terms of if there is violent behavior in their house, but we have to understand that what is it as a family they want. They desperately want to keep their, like, their, you know, their family together. They, des- they, they have lived with this person and loved them and their beautiful children, and they, um, and they want to continue with that. And, and we need to, as a society, and it's a society problem, and I know we talk a lot about law enforcement, um, particularly for this segment, but the reality reality is, and, and Dennis alluded to this, this is not a law enforcement problem This is or an issue. It's a, it's a society issue. And uh, we have to decide as a society is how we want to help these families and help these wonderful families uh, stay together. And I think uh, the problem is these days, of course, is shrinking budgets. Um, and whenever there's shrinking budgets and cuts to funding, is the most vulnerable people and the people with families um, that are often hit the hardest. And as we know, uh, autism treatment um, and, I, and, I, and I'm one, as I spoke about my son Hunter, and know that it can work. It's also prohibitively expensive in many cases. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm not shy to say that, uh, you know, it almost bankrupt my family. And, uh, you know, and as a family member, you'd pay anything, right? You'd pay anything to, to see your child improve and to give them the help that they need. Um, but is that the right thing? And I think as a society here, we need to really stop and say, hey, do we want to not invest in our families and in our children early on in life and give them the help they need? Because I think it'll pay off, frankly, um, down the road later. Um, and it'll help more families with what just Dennis just described. Right. Dennis, what more do you want to see done to increase the support for families and fi- family caregivers? Well, uh, uh, awareness is great. It, it, it can uh, let people that live next door to you, the people you work with, the people you've grown up with, know that you uh, 
I have a family member that needs a, a little more understanding, a little more help. I, I can tell you personally here, uh, we learned that our son had autism when he was uh, three years old. And uh, we, we, we got a tremendous amount of support, even back in the 80s. Uh, we lived in a big city in in Detroit, and uh, we, were, we were able to get a lot of assistance and help to the point where now my son is now working. He, he pays taxes. He's learned how to drive, and and pretty darn well. Uh, you know, he can navigate the community uh, independently. It doesn't mean that. Every person with autism will have that ability in their life, but this is what we want to strive for, uh, to make and help people become contributing members of society so there's less of a tax burden. But I think Jamie nailed it really good. We need to learn early and and work with people and families early on, give them the assistance through education, through therapy, through uh, just really acceptance in society. These are all uh, positive ways that we can uh, you know, improve the future, not only for people with autism, but really for everybody. Yeah, right, right, good. Now, What's your message, Jamie, to family caregivers with a family member with autism? What's your personal message to them? If I had a personal message, and I think right now I, I know uh, um, I'm speaking to the, possibly the new families that just are, are, are getting a diagnosis or they're trying to find out, like, what does this mean? Uh, you know, where do we go? What's this about? Because I, I, I still remember firmly for me that kind of deer caught in the headlight look uh, after I got the diagnosis and then realized, okay, what's out there? And, and you get a barrage of information that was, it was just too much. And I just want to say to them, I think, if I can speak to them for a moment, saying you're not alone. Um, uh, unfortunately, I think uh, it, it, autism is a, is a growing diagnosis. That they're talking now about one in every hundred, or even dropping faster than that. Um, but if your community that you live in um, doesn't have the, re- the resources you need, you, you know, you need to find it. You need to, to demand it. Get together with other people. Uh, for us, I can tell you, my family was really well supported by the, you know support groups or other. You know, just talking to other families, even if you're going for coffee with other people who are experiencing the same thing, it helps you to kind of put things in perspective. It helps you to come up with new ideas, new interesting ideas. You really have to get out there, and it's a conduit for you to get information, uh, but also it's a conduit for you to, to don't forget about yourself, right? You need to look after yourself as well, because uh, um, autism is not the end of the world. Uh, we have beautiful children. Um, they can do very well and do very good things. You just need to find the resources. And as far as what we were talking about before in, in the law enforcement angle, you know, go into your local police station if you're not sure you know, where they're at, if you have those same concerns as I raised earlier about the wandering or or, their, or your child being misunderstood and, and see what they have. And, and you know what? Maybe work cooperatively with them if they don't have training and, and let them know that there is training out there and they can find it and, you know, they can go get it and help them maybe uh, develop a registry of your own, uh, put them in touch with other ple- uh, people such as Dennis. I'm always happy to lend whatever advice or help I can. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more out there as well. But it's it's the, I think my main message is you're not alone. There is, there is support out there. Um, we need to grow it. There's no question. But um, don't forget to look after yourself. Right. Dennis, what's your message? Well, uh, people with autism can become good friends. They're, they like to have fun. They want to work. Uh, they, uh, they need to have friends just like we all do. And give them a chance. 
and give the families a chance that are living with these conditions, whether they're four, five, six years old, or they're 30, like my son, or 50, give them a chance to fit in. And uh, it's one of the world's uh, greatest mysteries, this uh, autism spectrum disorder. And, you know, uh, for the curious amongst us, uh, take a look at it. Uh, our families are, are part of the community just like everyone else, and, and we'll work with you. Right. Seems to me, both of you, Jamie and Dennis, that your message is one of hope. And that's profoundly important because in all of these kinds of conditions, hope is easily lost, especially, and this is something you both stress, when you're feeling alone and you're left to struggle by yourself and that the tensions can be rising. So hope. The other thing that you both referred to is what's becoming better understood, and that is the type of stigmatization that may affect families or the kids. We thought we were all over that, but it, we're starting to learn there's a more subtle level that's being, that has to be addressed and is being addressed. And therefore, exactly the kind of things that you've both been talking about are the way to go. In other words, um, if you look at somebody um, with a limp or in a wheelchair, you know that they're normal people except perhaps that they can't move around. That's what we have to do with these kinds of illnesses that we all have disabilities of one kind or another. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end, and that is to say it's the end of this particular session um, of Family Caregivers Unite. I want to say thank you to Dennis and to Jamie for everything, for your hope, for your message of hope, your insights, and talking so freely as well about not just your professional experience, but your family experience as well, because that's what gives people that sense of, I'm not alone, and here's somebody, here are two people who are willing to talk about what they've been through, and therefore we should be willing to talk about what we go through, and that's very powerful. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, we'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics. Or if you're interested in being a guest on the show, um, we'd like to hear from you also. In our next episode, we'll talk about naturopathic medicine and family caregiving. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.